and and finds all this Nazi memorabilia. So he calls Mac and Mac comes over and Charlie is decked out in full Nazi uniform. I don't know. I thought it was his uniform. I don't know. I just <laughs> he wanted to be married in it. I finally watched. I finally watched. Everybody. Welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched Again. This is David. And this is Alon. And we finally watched again Inside Man. So I, I asked you when we started doing this podcast, I've asked you probably 10 times if you've seen Inside Man because I don't really listen when people talk. And I just really It is a problem you have. Yes. Yes. So anyway, I didn't hear that. But. I really love this movie. Um, you know, the World Cup is going on right now, and I um, it's made it hard for me. I, I planned on watching just a ton of Spike Lee movies that I haven't, because I, I, I consider this like one of my favorites. And I was like, you know, I don't think many people who love Spike Lee would say that Inside Man is one of their favorites. And so to be a, a better person, I was like, I need to catch up. But there's just too much soccer going on. And so um, I'll have to better myself at a later point. I still love this. And this movie comes in at like two hours and 10 minutes and it flies by. Like it's so entertaining and the, and it's just like, it's structured so well that like, there's very few well, bits that it, you need to well really paced. take out. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like absolutely. really well paced. And the thing that I found interesting is the editing style to it is that once you like, feel like okay this is about to drag it brings in like the interviews and the interviews like really kind of picks picks up the movie a lot and then like the the b plot with the the files and the safety deposit box really picks up the movie again right and so it like does these things throughout the movie that kind of almost changes the tone of the movie like it's not a cool heist movie anymore it has this like espionage sort of vibe or it has this like i don't know focuses more on the hostages sort of thing and so yeah it kind of brings in these new genre tonal changes through the movie and it keeps you as the audience like on your toes yeah and i i also think too it it, it reminded me a little bit of um when we talked about the departed how you have these like really short choppy scenes and in this, there's a lot of very kind of short, choppy scenes going back and forth. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you'll have, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll have, like, oh, it goes to the Madeline character and then it goes back to Denzel and then back to her and back to her, you know, until they like catch up with each other. Um, and so that was like just, I think that also helps with the pacing of like, it's going to make it a little more difficult for us to talk about because we're going to be going back and forth, but it like, it helps with the pacing of it. Yeah, yes and no. I feel like this this movie is still like pretty concise in like what it what it is. Um and so yeah, I mean, let's just jump into it because then uh I, I think one of the kind of the hardest things to kind of grasp about the movie is what's going on in the beginning. Right, yeah, if you have no idea what it's about, because you just have and I love this song. Like I um this is back in the day. You, when you love could, this uh, song? <laughs> yeah, the Chaya Chaya. Yeah, I mean, this is this is back in the uh, the LimeWire 
Kaza days. Mm. I called Kaza back in the days, but yeah, I, I definitely downloaded the song and put it on a put it on a uh, not a mix MP3 player, you know. Um, but it's I definitely I love a certain that. taste. You know, what's funny too is like, so when I first saw this movie, I hadn't. This came out in what oh three. My senior year, we went to New York, but I'd never been to New York before that. And then I'd say maybe like six years ago, I went to New York and like we visited Coney Island. And so this movie starts out by picking up one of the dudes in Coney Island and draws all the drives all the way to like the financial district of Manhattan. I was like, that's like, why don't you have him meet you somewhere? Because that's like a really fucking like long commute. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, I guess just just like you said, if you are kind of going to this movie blind, you don't really know. And to be honest, it, it's been such a long time since I've seen this movie. This is this is a, a, what I, I would call like a dad movie. And what I mean by that is that uh, when I was little, uh, we had pay-per-view and stuff like that. And my dad would just like sit in the living room from like 10 PM to like whenever and just watch like random movies. And so I used to like, you know, join him on the couch and we used to watch these movies together. And this is definitely one of them. This is like my first memory of like, uh, inside man is watching it with my dad. He was a big Clive Owen fan. So like anything Clive Owen, like children of men inside man, uh, any of his like B action films Clive Owen used to do, those are like all dad movies to me. Like just watch on the couch late night with my dad. Um, but yeah, Inside Man was definitely like one of the the more iconic ones from that period of my life, I would say. Right. But also the- in saying that, hold on, in saying that, I did not quite remember the beginning. So I was just, I was kind of like, not confused because I know what the movie is, but I was just like, how does this get to where we're going? I also love, and, uh, you know, we talked on the phone earlier and uh, Taylor was saying that she like called a lot of this and even the stuff she called, I was like, there's so much, there's so much more to it, right? But I think the opening, you have the song, right? But in between, like, they start playing the song and then they have them drive all the way through New York as you get the opening credits. But there's this monologue from Clive Owen where he's, like, it's he's almost speaking in riddles, but just is, like, it's because you just don't have complete information. He's, like, you know, pay strict attention to what I'm saying. I'm in a tiny cell, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm in prison. You know, yada, yada, going on and kind of explaining mm-hmm. everything. And and you see the inside of this thing, and you're like, it's all dark and whatnot, so it's like, it's hard to tell. And, and for me, when I saw this, this was, like, for the most part, this is still true, but definitely back then, I just watched the movies. I never was trying to consider, like, figure out, like, the plot ahead of time. So <laughs> this, like, when this happens, it, like, really kind of blew me away. Like, the, the end of it, like, I didn't see any, like, any... It's hard to remember because at this point, this movie's fucking 20 years old. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, so that's crazy to me in and of itself. But that's actually really fucking crazy. Is this 20 years old? This is, is this, this is an 03, is it? It's almost 20 years old. 
No, it's 2006. Okay, yeah. Sorry. It's like 16, oh, okay. 16 years old. I was like, there's like, this wasn't 03. So my timeline was off earlier too, but it doesn't matter. It, it just, the movie is so well executed. And it's also one of those ones where like, you can go back and watch it again to see. And like, when you go back, it's so obvious. Everything's so obvious about it. But um, in the moment when I knew nothing about it, and I just went to a theater and went and saw it, um, that opening plays in perfectly. Just like, what the fuck am I even watching? And then the bank robbery—the bank robbery—happens immediately, and it's so quick. So I was getting a lot of like Dog Day, like flashbacks sure. from it. But then when they mention it in the movie, I thought that was pretty great too. Well, so the um, the old lady who's like refuses to strip she's, Miriam. She's in Dog Day. Yeah. Oh my! As like one of the hostages again. Yeah. Yeah. Not only that, the guy who delivers pizza in this movie was the guy that delivered the pizzas in Dog Day. Stop it. I was, and I didn't notice that part, but I was like, that's so cool. Like, that's such a smart little, like, you don't need to do that, right? And you didn't need to have this woman in either, but I'm sure, like, Spike was like, I want someone from that movie. And it's just, like, really adds to it. And so it's, <laughs> this is basically, like, they watch Dog Day and they're like, all right, well, this is what not to do. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, all from all from how you enter the building to your demands are all from. Anyways, let's kind of really dive into the plot, right? So we have the opening that we talked about, but then we have the beginning of the heist. Uh, so the beginning of the heist is they're all uh, painters. They all dress up as as painters. And they enter the building that way. Um, how does no one see them like set up those like flashlight things like so nonchalantly? Like here, here's a giant flashlight thing that we're going to just set in the middle of the table. Well, there's no light coming off it, but I too was like, I don't really understand what security is doing there. They're, like they get onto the one girl for talking too loudly. But then, I mean, I guess this is kind of the like... Um, was it the uh, the construction site vest thing? Like or you, you can you can enter into any <laughs> private event if you're holding a ladder sort of right. thing? Yeah, 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 that's exactly what I'm talking about. So it's just like he sees it and he's like, it's fucking weird to me. I don't know what that is, but all right, they seem to know what they're doing. So <laughs> I don't remember being told about this, but I'm sure I don't want to I don't want to <laughs> rock the boat. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I was saying then when he throws the rabbi down, I think this is like one thing that I don't know how you could see coming is the fact that the rabbi's in on it. You know what I mean? I guess the fact that this deals heavily in like someone's dealing with the Nazis and then you have this rabbi character there. Um, is he a rabbi? I'm pretty sure he's a rabbi. He's a professor. No, no, no. He, no, he, he is. He's, I mean, he's definitely Jewish. Um, but That's the true. thing, yeah, the thing about that is that I didn't even notice that he was one of the guys that they knocked down first. Yeah, he was over at the table with like one of the head guys. Um, and yeah, it, 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 it's interesting watching this time too, like picking it apart, seeing all the detail in there. And one thing I'll say is like I was reading, um, and I never look at this because I just think it's kind of silly. Um, but I was looking at like the goof section on IMDb and someone pointed out, they were like, oh shit. Um, they didn't say oh shit in their post. They said that as a plot hole, 
the fact that the police could have just looked at the security footage and seen all the people that came in early. And then once the footage was cut off, anyone who did, who wasn't there was a bad guy. But then in the movie and like, it's not a plot hole because the movie explains it and it's just whether or not you buy their explanation. Um, but the movie at one point when they show that the lights getting hit with the infrared and going off, he's like, Oh, well there was two minutes in between when um, the cameras got cut and when the police called it in. So that's when we know the, that's when we know the robbery started. He's like, so in that two minutes and well, yeah, Denzel could have been like, all right, but these four people weren't there. So they're my primary suspects. But the problem is, as he says later in the movie, when his boss tells him to just bury it is he's like, but there's three or four other people for every sus, every person I could have as a suspect there's three or four people who vouch for that person. Right. So it's like, so even if I think these people did it, I have no evidence. So I think it's just really smart how they do it because they, they had the three like uh, robbers to continuously be, you know, switch back and forth between being robbers and being hostages. But they always had uh, the, the rabbi character in the as a hostage because if those three can vouch for themselves they always have the rabbi to vouch for them and then everyone vouches for uh him so it's like a a win-win situation it's funny as i wrote down he was a rabbi and i was like i don't even he later on talks about how he's a professor at like columbia i think right yeah and how his cousin or nephew knows jewelry or something like that right yeah, definitely playing on stereotypes right there. But the reason I thought he was a rabbi character is because when Clive Owen comes in, the rabbi doesn't sit down and he's like, you get the same treatment as everyone else rabbi. That's so if his partner, right. Clive Owen, calls him that, then maybe then maybe it's good. I don't know. We're, we can just keep referring to him as such. Um, yeah, but it. I mean, the whole thing is genius. And we talk about it as we go through just having him as like, you know, because at one point they're interviewing the rabbi. And the, and he shows him the other three bad guys, and he's yeah. like, "Nah, I don't recognize them." And it's just like, oh, "Okay, you're free to go." Um, and that just part is so cool. And so next we have a cop who walks up on this, and I'm I'm curious. There's a couple points in this where I'm wondering, like, is this intended? Because they're having smoke billow out of the building, and so did they want the cops to spot this so quickly, or did it not matter? I guess they needed time. So they didn't really care if the cops came early. They probably would have preferred them to come a little later. But um, it's almost like, yeah, why did you have the smoke billowing out of the doors? Because you almost don't want people to know what's going on for a while. Um, And then Clive Owen comes out with a really thick Eastern European accent, which I guess is his Albanian attempt, or to throw off the cops enough. Yeah. And he never uses it again throughout the movie. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it was, it was fucking trouble. <laughs> was that your best attempt? That was my attempt at Clive Owen's attempt at Eastern <laughs> European. Uh, yeah, I actually he he threw me off guard so much. I thought it was maybe one of the other bank robbers that was actually Eastern European, but then it turned out none of them are. So, but this movie is so full of misdirects and and red herrings that it's really hard to like especially because at one point everyone in the movie is wearing a mask. It's hard to keep track on who's who, even as like, even as an audience that 
that gets like a whole overview of what's going on, it's hard to keep track sometimes. Well, one of the other bank robbers is Armenian. And uh, Denzel Washington at one point was like, Armenian, Albanian, isn't that the same thing? <laughs> He's like, what? Because like, I'm from the Bronx. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we next get Denzel Washington getting brought in and we immediately get this like story about how he, there's like $140,000 missing from like this ca- check cashing bus, this Madrigada thing or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and all you need to know is like, it's, he's in the doghouse. Um, and it's funny because they have, it, it's the, the plot points that, that are needed for this movie. They need him to be in the doghouse because of this check cashing thing so that Madeline can throw him this bone and the mayor can sort of blackmail him, right? Right. But then you also need him to be called to this. And so they're like, oh, well, the other detectives are on vacation. So you get to go. Like everyone else is busy. So it doesn't matter you're in the doghouse. So it's like they had to put him in a situation where he wouldn't get called and they had to come up with an explanation why he still could go. You know what I mean? It's funny. It's 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 like uh, it's like they write the script without either of those two things, and then like by the end of this, by the end of the um, the movie, they're writing it out, and they're like, "Oh shit, he needs to be blackmailed by these people. How do we do that?" And then they like go back, and they're like, "Oh, we're gonna write that there's money missing from his last case," and they're like, "Yeah, but if there's money missing from his last case, how did? Why is he hired to do this?" And they're like, "Oh, uh, because people are on vacation. Just sh- shut up." And just let me direct this, okay? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I was talking about this with you before um, before we uh, started that the guy who wrote this has only written one other thing, and it was the movie Righteous Kill with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, um, which is terrible. And so it's just interesting that because this movie is so slick and the writing is so good. It's curious, like maybe how much you know of a pass maybe that um, Spike Lee might have given to it or or whatever. But you know, the the bones there of this movie are really good. So it's just it's kind of curious that this guy hasn't done anything else. So we now flash to back to the bank, and they're doing this thing where they take all the cell phones and keys. And I love the scene where the bank manager uh, Peter Hammond is like, "I don't have my cell phone," and just Clive Owen going through the phones until he finds it, and it's like bro, you know, someone has your number. Like, would you just speak up? And then he gets to it and then just fucking gold digger plays. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, at one point, because I haven't seen this movie in a long time, I thought, I thought that it was a plant. Like, um, I knew some of the hostages were in on it and I thought the bank manager might've been one of them. Uh, right. So, and I thought, Gold Digger was kind of like an on the nose thing because they're robbers. I don't know. So it still yeah. is on the nose because he's a bank manager. <laughs> yeah, true. But then he gets punched in the fucking nose. I love Clive Owen going behind the glass and like pantomiming, like, what do I do? <laughs> With his hands, and then he just comes out and beats the shit out of the dude. Do you think that was an act or do you think he honestly was like trying to figure out what to do? I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Because because like like Denzel kind of figured out at the end is that this is not an act of violence, right? Like all of the other characters that was bestowed violence upon were either dummy blood bag 
sort of mannequin sort of things or their own people, which they were already like they already knew that they had to take a beating for the for the show. Right. They didn't hurt anyone else in that thing. So it's like the bank manager was like a like a fluke where it's like, oh, shit, you know, like we have to keep this up, you know? Yeah, yeah, I can see it that way. Yeah, and he does kind of. Why would he like pantomime that if he wasn't like, fuck, what do I do? Because he is in the end, he's he's not a bad person. Like he's kind of a one of the more virtuous characters in the movie. Kind of like a Robin Hood, but like, yeah, except if Robin Hood like wanted to suck pina coladas on a beach somewhere. Yeah, (laughs) Robin Hood was out for himself a little bit. Um, Right. And as this is happening, we meet Christopher Plummer's character, Arthur Case, and uh, his secretary comes up to him and she's like, oh, a bank was robbed. She's like, what is it, 20th uh, something trust or whatever is the name of the bank. And he is immediately like, oh, shit. And what I think is interesting is you don't realize that then, but if you watch it again, this thing that he did in his past is constantly in his mind, right? It's like right. always at the forefront. So the fact that he's like immediately knows, oh, fuck, that Nazi stuff. <laughs> for some reason, I decided to keep. Yeah. Is right there. I've been I've been I've been watching a lot of uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh huh. And it, I was watching this movie after I already watched the the Nazi episode of that show. And if you've never seen it, I'm going to describe to you the episode very quickly. Basically, uh, Charlie befriends Dennis's uh, grandpa. And as his like dying wish, he wants Charlie to go into like a storage locker and to dress him in his war uniform. <laughs> so that, <laughs> so that uh, you know, he wants to he wants to be buried in his war uniform. So Char- Charlie goes and and finds all this Nazi memorabilia. So he calls Mac and Mac comes over and Charlie is decked out in full Nazi uniform. I don't know. I thought it was his uniform. I don't know. I just he wanted to be married in it. <laughs> and they're like he's like what the what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, "Oh man, this is the greatest thing ever." And so they have like they have all these photographs and these medals and these like they have everything, right? And they're like uh we can't they're like we have to sell this stuff and make a ton of money we can't give it to the nazi like we're not doing that we have to sell it and then d is like or someone is like you can't sell nazi merch like that's illegal so they're like okay we'll we'll sell it to a museum it is apparently it is so um they're like we'll sell it to a mu well for the show's sake, I you guess. You think the people in Always... Wait, hold on. You think the, the characters in Always Sunny are familiar with the laws on, like, Nazi <laughs> memorabilia? <laughs> no, no, no. Listen, listen. Uh, they go to a museum and they bring all this stuff with them. And it's like it's like the Jewish Holocaust Museum. And so they bring it to them and they're like, hey, we would like to sell you all, all of this stuff. And they're like, this is really insulting. I'm calling the cops because this is illegal. So the museum people tell them that it's illegal. So uh, in the box with all the other stuff is a photograph of his grandfather, like Heiling Hitler dressed as a Nazi uh, of Dennis's grandfather. And of course they just got the actor who plays Dennis to pose as his grandfather. Cause it looked, they look the same, whatever. 
They decide, hey, look, if we can't have this stuff, no one can have this stuff. So they burn the box, right? As they burn the box, Dennis comes out and he's like, hey, what's going on here? No one told me we we're going to like light fires. And they're like, oh, yeah, whatever. Blah, 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 blah. And then, of course, through the whole episode, Dennis is like an asshole to them. So as revenge, they slip something in his pocket. <laughs> Mac does. And then they're like, he's like, he's like, oh, OK, by the way, your grandfather's a Nazi. And then he looks at the photograph and it's. Anyways, so yeah, it it uh it reminded me of that episode. That was great. You just spent five minutes describing an episode of Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. This content you can't get anywhere. Yeah. Um we, we get introduced to Willem Dafoe, and I just like uh Willem Dafoe kind of blows him off. He's like, the way this works is I work with you know the other guy, and he's like, Well, he's gone, so Detective Fraser has the big dick today. <laughs> Can I just say that this is Willem Dafoe's most normal role he's ever played yeah i mean he's definitely like a bigot um for sure but besides that yeah i mean like like he's not a fucking lighthouse keeper or the green goblin i mean he's just a fucking dude doing his job i get it so we we next see this old guy who's like gasping for air and i love the fact that clive owen looks at him and is like i know nothing's wrong with you, but I'm going to send you out there anyway. I need to send a hostage. So fuck it. Like, congratulations. You get to go. Right. Yeah. I, and then he's like out there. He's perfectly fine. And then we meet Jodie Foster and I wrote this in the notes, but this is like the hottest and evilest she's ever looked in a movie. So we meet Jodie Foster and she's talking to this guy asking about his uncle and then we get the call back later on when she's like, I would love to tell you how horrible of a person you are, but I'm helping Bin Laden's nephew get a co-op in Manhattan. And I love Arthur laughing. If you, t- if that were true, you wouldn't tell me. She's like, you're, you're a reference. <laughs> like, this is how this works. Yeah. Yeah. And, and her, her character, the thing I really like about this movie is that every character, like every main character, Denzel Clive, Jodie Foster, they're all really witty, but they're all kind of like they're witty in in different ways, right? It was like it's a big cat and mouse game with uh, Clive and and Denzel, but with Jody, it's like she plays her side, right? She's not, she's not even on fully Christopher Plummer's side, but she just plays her own game. I like that about her. Well, she she's also a very unique character. Um, we talk about as we go through, but like, she just, she's not like, she's willing to get kind of down and dirty. She's not like, so the one thing that I noticed is when she goes into the bank, they make her get on her stomach and like, you know, like, so they can fully pat her down. And that's like (laughs) someone who looks like that, who does this type of work you think would have a problem with that. But now she just like, does it. I mean, obviously she has to, right. But she doesn't put up a fight or anything. And it's just like she's willing to do whatever to further. I don't even know what her goals are. I guess just money or influence or power. Um, what her motivation in life is, is probably money, like the same as most. But I, I think it's all three. I think it's money, motivation, and power. Money, influence, and power. Influence and power. Yeah. Her motivation is motivation. Her motivation is money, influence, and power. Um. And so then we get Willem Dafoe going through all the steps they've taken. I like how procedurally, like, 
intricate things get. He's like, oh, we've done all this. This is the setup. Like they really take the bank robbing aspect of it very seriously. And like, they don't kind of skimp on anything. Um, and it's, this is the point where we're going back and forth, right? Because you have Jodie Foster meeting with Christopher Plummer and she's like, you know, he, first of all, I don't understand why he called her for this. I mean, obviously he got, you know, a good reference, but it's like, he's like, I don't even know if you can do this. And it's like, what do you expect her to do? It's a bank robbery. Like, how do you expect that? It's kind of illogical to think like, oh, she's going to talk to the mayor to go inside the bank during the robbery. Like that is like the biggest like reach so in I, this movie. So I had the same thought you did, but like, think about it this way. If, if you're going to need something seemingly impossible and you know of this operator who could do what was seemingly impossible, isn't your best chance, even if you don't think anyone could do anything, if you need something to be done, wouldn't your best chance to be like, to put it in the task of someone known to like do the impossible. So maybe he didn't know exactly how she would go about it, but maybe he just thought like his best chance of not having this out is hiring her and then letting her just do her thing, no matter what it takes. Well, I just think it's, yeah, it speaks to his desperation to where it's like, he needs, it speaks to his desperation, but it also speaks to her ability to get the job done. So we get back, and this is when they look at the cameras and, and figure out that the uh, the infrared has blinded them. I, I like how that they ask a question. He's like, "Well, why are those why are those flashlights working?" And there's just a different person in the van who's like, "Oh, it's probably infrared." And they're like, "Fuck, it is infrared." <laughs> infrared specialist, right there. Ex- exactly. Although I don't think that if you flash infrared into security cameras, it like kills them. I'm pretty sure that's not a real thing. Uh, maybe it blinds them and you just have to keep them there the whole time. Um, maybe so. Maybe they just kept it on it the whole time. Um, maybe. He then next uh, sends out the uh, Sikh. Uh, his name is Vikram. It's pretty fucked up of Clive Owen to like blindfold the guy, put something in his mouth and tie his hands behind his back. Just like you're sending him out there almost to get shot. Um, which does not help you because if the police shoot someone during the commission of your robbery, you get charged with that in a ton of States and probably New York. Um, and I, I do like the social commentary of the movie because they, they pull his hit the thing off. And the one cop's like, Oh fucking Arab. And he's like, I'm not an Arab. I'm a Sikh. Leave me alone. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, this was like post 9-11 and everything like that. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting, right? And I think this is one thing that you could always say about Spike Lee movies, even though they span through many different genres, right? Like, I wouldn't compare this to Old Boy. Like, this is a completely different movie. You can't, you can't, like, put two and two together. Um, like, like Quentin movies, right? Like Tarantino movies. You could be like, oh, yeah, that's a Tarantino movie from a mile away. I think Spike Lee movies are a little harder to spot. But one thing about it is that his like racial and social commentaries are all throughout his movies all the time. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I I think a lot of people when they think Spike Lee are like inside man and old boy. That's like the first two that. (laughs) No, but see, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) You don't think that, but that's my point. Yeah. So I really like the part with um, 
Vikram and Denzel Washington in the in the um, diner afterwards. And I think I, th- I was thinking a lot about this part because so there's some lines in here that are like, I don't know if it's because it's not aged well. And I don't mean aged well as like, oh, people would be offended by it. But, you know, he makes some cracks about like, oh, I can't go through the airport without a random selection. And Denzel Washington's like, oh, I bet you can get a cab, though. And, and the, he's like, yeah, that is one of the perks. And, and they kind of all laugh. And um, apparently Denzel Washington like ad-libbed that line and, and Spike thought it was so funny that he almost like ruined the take by laughing too loud. And I was like, those lines are probably funnier in 2006 just because it's the type of jokes that we've heard so, that's been done so much now. But it's the but it's also like those are the type of jokes that are really funny, like in a in a small setting with friends. Like you can make those same type of jokes all the time, like, oh, random selection at the airport. But like it it's not like it wouldn't be if the if you saw a fucking like a stand up comic do that joke, you'd be like, Oh my god, but like are you gonna do airplane jokes next? Like are you gonna do like what's the deal with movies? You know what I mean? Like it's like not great. But right. it, so it's like I don't know. I had very mixed feelings about this line, having seen the movie like six times and like really kind of breaking down the movie. But I think it almost accidentally is like fucking perfect because you have just, it's like a thing that normal characters would say. So maybe it's not like ha ha hilarious, funny anymore after the fifth time you've seen it, but it's the type of shit people say to each other who are just like shoot from the hip, you know, kind of funny guys. No, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. Cause I, I've had the same thought, um, not just with this movie, but with other, other films. But I think what really helps with that is Denzel Washington's delivery. He, he knows how to say things like there's not a camera on him. Right. It kind of, it like, it just feels so like smooth and nonchalant and like, like, uh, like a normal conversation. It's, it's just, uh, I, I don't know. He's just an incredible actor. So I, I, I think while, yeah, you're right. It's a good line. And it's like every, the setup is there. I think because who is delivering it, it's like, it's elevated to that extra, you know? Yeah. And this is almost blasphemous to say, but I do get the feeling sometimes when Denzel says things in like interviews too, where he's like, very like proud of the way he says things sometimes that he's like feels like oh i fucking nailed that where sometimes i'm just like that's just a pretty normal thought like um, in interviews or like he's proud of himself in, there's like, this movies. one there's this one clip where he um he's quoting i think he's quoting mark twain and he's like if you don't read the news you're uninformed if you read the news you're misinformed and you can just like the way he delivers it was just like yeah fucking nailed that <laughs> so i don't it's just he gives off this air of like, he's like very like, I don't know, but he also is like, he's fucking Denzel. I'm not shitting on him. I just think sometimes he's like very proud of like, he's like very like, ah, fucking nailed that. You know what I mean? And the fact that, so he ad and I'll say this too, like, so he ad-libbed that line, but he ad-libbed all of the interviews and the interviews are fucking great. Like they See, feel that makes like, sense though. That makes sense because it just feels so natural. It doesn't feel like so, great dialogue. So real. Like in the in the way Chiwetel Ejiofor stares at that woman's tits the entire time, just feels like something a cop would do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, 
uh, now that you say that, that makes so much sense because I felt like, especially the way those interviews were edited, you could you could just like um, like improv like a whole thing, and then just the editor could just take out the best pieces of that, and that's kind of what it felt like. Well, cause that whole wasa wasa thing. And the guy's like, what is wasa wasa? I mean, he's like, you know, you know, no K pasa doesn't come to your neighborhood. That was just like, that dude just made that up. You know what I mean? So <laughs> just like, and it all felt so good. Um, the whole uh, Armenian Albanian, what's the difference thing? Like, it's all like not PC, but it's all like really fucking like entertaining. And it's just like, that's how two fucking big dip, big dick, Keith Frazier would would swing in a uh, in an interrogation. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah. while this is all happening, we got this uh, Madeline uh, Madeline visits the mayor. And I love just the way he turns when the door closes. What the fuck are you doing here? And then you know she tells him what uh, she needs, and he's like, "That'll you know I'll probably have to like put some more markers out." And she's like, "Well, that's just what you're gonna do." His line of like, "You're such a magnificent cunt," just like fucking the way he delivers it it's a fucking dagger and it doesn't even matter to her it doesn't it almost doesn't register she just smiles and walks away she's like i don't care i own you so this is like whatever you say you're just like a child influence and power influence and power yeah yeah and then right after this is one of the funniest moments because arthur chase christopher Plummer shows up and he walks into the van and they're like, oh, you know, I want to help in any way. And they're like, okay, well, yeah. And he's like, well, have they asked for anything? And he's like, oh, they asked for a jet. And he's like, oh, uh, do you want me to arrange one for you? And it's just the pause and they're all looking at each other. And he's like, oh, I, I guess I'm, I misunderstood. You don't want me to get a jet. Okay. It, you know, it kind of should tip them off right then and there that he's willing to help them that much to like be like, what do you have? Like, what dog do you have in this uh, race? You know what I mean? I don't know. I mean, it's his probably big, is. but isn't all the money insured? Like, there's something bigger going on, and they should have probably thought of, figure that out, you know? Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I think you're, when you're a, a detective like this, you're, it's probably like an, an Occam's razor thing, like just the simplest explanation. And so you're just like, no one's thinking like, oh, this this Nazi dude just came in here. <laughs> Something's up. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Now, here's my question, and I'm I was a little confused about the whole position Christopher Plummer has in this movie because he wasn't outright a Nazi, right? He was a he I think from my understanding is he was a Jew. No, who, he was an American. Oh, he was an American. Oh, okay, so he was an American who took the side of the side of the Nazis. He just worked. He just worked with them, and he like sold out his friends. Um, and what's, you know, the whole time you're like, okay, yeah, he's a bad person. Obviously, bad person. He was like, he made money while people around him were dying, but then at the end, she, you know, he's like, oh, and then there's the Cartier ring. It was the friend. It was the. Uh, it belonged to the wife of a friend of mine. They were rich French Jews. Um, I could have saved them but the Nazis paid too well. And it's like, dude, no one asked you about that. <laughs> she didn't know about the ring. Like you just volunteered that. Like what the fuck's wrong with you? Yeah. I, I, I think you're right. I think up to that point where you're like, Oh, he's just an opportunist. But then when you figure out that he not just sat by, right? Like people who sit by during those kind of horrible things are horrible people. But then that he had a hand in turning in, uh, the, well, turning that- them in. 
just like he allowed his friends to die for money like that he and he would just tell people willingly and it's like he didn't you know you're you're almost you know at certain points he tries to argue that he's changed or he's worked to fix what he did and then but then when he tells that story and you see this like glint in his eye it's like no you're just pure evil like yeah. irredeemable i mean irredeemable anyway but just another level that's kind of um, what I like about the movie, though, is because you you're painted these bank robbers as these villains. And then at the end, when you have Denzel and Clive and everyone, uh, there's only one villain. And then you're that, like kind of questioning he if does he get his comeuppets in the end? Because that that part's kind of left open. Right. So they, they ask for food. They're going to give him pizza, not sandwiches, because they don't want, you know, they want to be able to hear people talk. If you give them sandwiches, they might disperse or whatever. Um. And this is at the point where the one dude pulls his mask down and like starts talking shit. And this is once again, in retrospect, feels very obvious that he was just like, that this was purposeful to, you know, people see his face. He also gets hit. So he's Caleb can't be a bad guy. He got the shit kicked out of him by right. the bad guy. Um, and then we get the Albanian storyline. And um, I have a couple friends that are Albanian. And I remember I was talking with them one time and I just brought up, I just said in Verhoja and like, how the fuck do you know who that is? I was like, inside man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Topical. It was at the time. I, now, can we talk about, can we talk about the Albanian woman that they had to like bring in to like translate and how she brings in her like gift bag full of parking tickets. And then is like, uh, he starts to smoke. Like you can't smoke in here. She just looks at him like, uh, I'm helping you. And like, fuck whatever also her ex-husband construction worker who's just like ah oh, i fucking hate that bitch <laughs> but before that you have willem dafoe like they think it's russian willem dafoe's like oh you better fucking get more body bags down there if we have to deal with those fucking savages <laughs> yeah here's the here's the willem dafoe character racist storyline yeah uh, and this is also there's this subplot right here which is like they got really lucky that there was another woman with huge tits in like amongst the, the hostages. I mean, percentage wise, yes. you're probably going to have one. You might even have two or three. Uh, if you'd gone to LA and done this, there'd be like seven in the whole room. Yeah. Even, even the dudes. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I love when they're talking to the Asian guy and he's like, I remember her great tits. And he's like, well, how could you tell, you know, underneath the thing, he's like, Oh, you can't hide quality like that. <laughs> And that was the same Asian guy that was checking out um, yeah, she, the he was woman in line. Out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And she was like, you know, what's funny is he didn't, see, he wasn't like that lecherous. I was like, oh, she's being a bitch. And then afterwards, he's like, oh, no, I was looking at her tits. <laughs> I was that wasn't the same. That wasn't the same woman. That wasn't the bank robber. No, I know. But I think that's the one he recognized. I mean, either way, he saw both pairs, you know, probably. But I think he was talking about the woman who was not a bank robber. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. What's also funny is they bring in the cop who speaks Russian. He's like, this isn't Russian. Bulgarian, maybe. And he's like, Central European? Sort of? And I was like, that's a perfect description of like, because I've heard the, I've heard my friends speak Albanian and I you know, know a little bit. And so it's sort of Central European? Because that language is like, it's unlike anything else I've ever heard. Would you say it's, it, is it more, does it sound more Eastern European or does it sound more Arabic? Or it's like a mix of both. <laughs> it's kind of a it's kind of a mix because it is like 
it's on the other side of Greece, so in between Greece and like I think I think Turkey might be right there. I'm not like the best with maps. I'm actually pretty fucking good with maps though. Um, oh but there's this like this isn't an interview. But I've talked with them about it before. Like in hearing them, say, there's like certain sounds that like you can't make if you don't start speaking that early. You know what I mean? Like that your your fucking voice box doesn't work that way. Right. Because like it's just so different. And so it was, it was just funny to hear him like sort of Central European. He's like, I have no fucking clue. It's funny how uh, they play it over the over the speaker and being like, Well, we might get like one person and they get the person, but the per and I love I love his reaction to like the construction worker gets all cozy into the into the uh NYPD truck and they're like, Okay, what does it say? And he's like, I don't know. It's like you told me you spoke Albanian. He's like no, I never I, said that. I never he's said like, that. You, he's like, you said you spoke out, and that that line is so funny from Denzel because he he continually does that because he's a cop, right? He's like, he's trying to get people to say what he wants. So he's like, you said you spoke. He's like, I did not say that. I said I recognize it. He's like, well, how did you recognize it? <laughs> yeah, uh, but but back to what you were saying about how Denzel's always his character is always trying to get people to admit things. It, it's funny how th- those interviews go because people we know that are innocent versus people we know who are guilty. Um, he's like, he's being really harsh on the interviews because I love his like disarming charm, right? Like he's so, he's charming. He's laughing with them. He goes, Oh, you think that's funny? Ha 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 ha. And then like on a flip of a, of a coin he he's like, ha ha ha. No, but seriously, man, I will kick your fucking ass if you like he just switches it so fast and then when they have the little kid the little boy playing the the psp the the entire time right i was like surely you can't think like why is him and the father even in this interview room because like there's no way that this dude is your suspect no i mean for sure it i think they just had to cover all their bases um but yeah it doesn't make sense i i love the line after the lady tells them it's the dead president of albania and he's like he's like the last time i had my johnson my johnson pulled this good it cost me five bucks one was like five bucks he's like tijuana don't ask <laughs> anyway so we get we get back into the the bank and this is the first time uh they call each other right and so clive picks up and they're playing like this this phone game but then they he's like oh yeah albanian right he, he's, he's like, like am i talking to the he's like i'm talking to the president of albania yeah he's like ah, oh, yeah. you like that huh the best part of this movie is the is when clive owen and denzel washington are in a scene together when they're talking it's like heat it's like the best part of heat is when de niro and pacino are in the same room talking these two are so good to each other and it's only we get a few phone calls and we get the scene at the end when they're in the bank together but this one's so great because he's like by this time next week i'll be in a hot tub with six girls named amber and tiffany he's like sucking on pina coladas he's like now you're gonna be with jamal and jesus and that thing you're sucking on it's not a pina colada see that's see okay see that's a joke that does not age well it is just, just fine. I mean, I don't. It's for some reason people are okay with like threatening the uh, convict or uh, bad guys with prison rape. People like don't care about prisoners. I feel like people are too okay with it sometimes. Like all the early two, yes. all the early two thousand movies are way too okay. Like even in like the fucking Transformer movies, 
they throw that they throw that thread around all the time. Absolutely, um, it's it's because they don't ever see themselves as possibly going to jail. Uh, so and this phone call ends with him like, if you don't have my plane ready, you better just bring a hearse. And he's like, you know, just stay calm. And Clive Owen's like, don't I sound calm? Sound calm? And Denzel's like, yeah, you do. And it, this is kind of like the first hint of like something is off here. Like this guy, after talking with him, something is not right. Um, and then he, he calls back and he's like, Hey, you know, I need more time on the plane, but I'll, I'll get you food. And he asks him this riddle. And what I think is funny about the riddle. So the answer ends up being zero, but what I think is funny is they get the right answer. And then afterwards, the entire police truck is continuing to argue about the answer afterwards. And Denzel's like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Like, go get the sandwiches, like move on. Yeah, it was, it was what weighs heavier, the trees that are cut down to make uh, the dollar bills or the train cars in that, that run through Union Station. Grand Central or Grand Central Station. And he's Grand like, Central Station. And he's like, it's Grand Central Terminal that has the trains. Yeah. Um, right after we get um, the, the rabbi character, uh, we find out he's a Jewish professor that teaches at Columbia and he teaches on genocide and war reparations. And this is like obviously how they know about case. And it, we don't know how they know, um, but this is obviously the guy that figured it out. And it is interesting, like, I, I would be interested in reading the novel version of this that has all the backstory. Like, what did Clive Owen's character do before this? How did they figure out that Case was this Nazi? Like, What brought them all together to, like, agree to do yeah. this? Yeah. Like, that. all of that stuff is not necessary for this movie that's, you know, it's already two hours and ten minutes, even though it flies by. But it you know is, what, it's stuff that interests me. You know what this movie needs? A heat two. It needs an Inside Man two, where it has like the prequel plus the what happens after Inside Man. This absolutely could be like a streaming series. You know, you have someone else playing the Clive Owen character. Um, There's a series called Inside Man, but I think it's about something different. That's with Stanley Tucci, who's in jail, and he like he might be on death row, and he's like helping them solve crimes. So. Oh, so um, like Blacklist and White Collar and like every other fucking movie. Okay, I get it. Probably. Um, so we get Madeline going into the bank, not before we get this little side clip of them digging a hole and they go, that's a good looking shithole. And I don't know, I thought they were still escaping through the pipes um, when I first saw this, I guess. So Madeline goes into the bank. She's like, I just need to get into one safe deposit box. And he's like, this one right here, yeah, and just that's my, the Nazi. that's my favorite part about the the both of the, uh, the scene between both of them is she's like, I just need to do one thing, and he's like, You mean this? <laughs> and he's like, Your boss made money selling, you know, selling out the Jews to Nazis, and he should have destroyed this, which is true. Like, there's no reason for him to have this. Like, keep the ring, whatever that ring's worth millions. But don't keep the folder with the swastika on it. Like just burn it, or at least take take it out of the folder with the glaring, blaring swastika on the cover. You know what I mean? I, I love her line of "How do you think you're gonna get out of this?" He's like, "I'm gonna walk out the front door when I'm good and ready." Um, and it's just, I don't know. To me, like the first time you see this, you're just like, "What the fuck does he even mean?" Like I don't get it, and. I, the, the way this movie ends is so perfect too because like 
he's the only bad guy they would if he had walked out with the rest of them when they all just were like oh we're all hostages you know she would have rec- madeline would have recognized him denzel washington would have recognized him so many people would have known like oh that's the guy i fucking recognize the bad eastern european accent but like the the way he does it because he's the only he's like the face of it and the way he hides everything it is it's it's so perfect um, and I love his line too of like all lies stink. You can hide them for a little bit, but you know they don't go away. Um, and it's really like the it's like the central thesis of the movie. Yeah. Um, so when when we have Madeline leaving, right? She's still. I guess her motivation right now is just to like keep that under wraps for her client. But it, you kind of lose respect for her because now she knows what's up and she's still like willing to do that. Um, yeah, I, I guess. I don't, I mean, we're talking about what she, what happens in the end of it where he give he gives her the war crimes number for Washington, D.C. I guess he's basically telling her like, you need to call on this guy. Yeah, you know, Denzel her, gives her the end. Yeah, I, it's like she is making money off of the guy who made money off of selling out Jewish people during the Holocaust by protecting his secret. So it's like, does, does that make her as bad, or is she just like this is what she she works with bad people? I, don't, I mean, I don't think she gives a shit what we think of her. You know, this character, but mm-hmm. I, I like how he wants an explanation from her, and she's like. He says he's smart, isn't he? And she's like, he thinks he's smart, which really like reminds me at the end when he bumps into Denzel. It's such a stupid thing to do, but he bumps into Denzel to drop the diamond into his pocket. And it's the right. type of thing that a, a guy who thinks he's smart does, but it just he it worked for him. Like he didn't get caught. Yeah. Um, at the end of this too, he's like, ah, she's like, you know, he says, ah, can I have your number or whatever in case I need you? She's like, I don't think you can afford me. He's like, well, let me tell you, kiss my black ass. She's like, my bite is far worse than my bark. We don't ever actually see that from her in this. <laughs> no, she but what... she accomplishes very little. It's true, but you know her her like um, her posture, like the energy she gives off, like you believe it because the character is so built up in this film. So it's like she could say anything and you would believe it because of, of the things that are already established. You know what though? Yeah. At this point, what we don't know and what Denzel knows, because we think, Oh, he just backed down here. She told him, Hey, I will fuck you up. And he like kind of coward, but what Mm -hmm. he is playing, like he is inferior, but this entire time he has on video, her and the mayor blackmailing him. Oh, yeah, 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 it's true. He has the pen. So he's smart enough to not play that card now. He's going to play it later if and when he needs it. So he, like, you know, he's like, kiss my black ass. And he's like, I can tell you that because I I fucking have you. You just don't know it yet. Right, right. So we get to the end. We get to the end. Um, Their jet comes. They all get on the jet and they fly off. Um, No. Um, So... At this point, Denzel is realizing that they're buying time, right? That they they they're buying time, and so much so that 
I think I don't remember what sets them off, but what makes them set up the shooting the hostage in the head? It's Denzel coming in and and um, like wrestling him to the ground. Oh yeah, yeah. So so yeah, that scene. So sorry, I, I skipped ahead a little bit because I want to talk about the aftermath of that. But Denzel comes in to, I guess yeah, kind of. He tells them, he's like, I got you a plane. And they're like, oh, really? He's like, yeah, I got you a plane. And no one believes it. But he's like, but I need to come in and see the hostages. And he kind of goes through, sees the hostages. He's like, oh, can I have the kid? He's like, no. And then right after that, he's like, who wants to, you know, why did you think I'm getting, you know, getting the plane? Like, there's no way, like, you knew I wasn't getting you a plane. You've seen Dog Day after. Um. And he's like, you know, I'm the only thing holding back them from bringing those guys. And he's like, uh, he's like, no hostages have been hurt. Um, and there's no immediate threat. So quit wasting my fucking time. Like no one's coming in right now. Um, and it's just their, their dialogue is so smart. The back and forth of him, like Clive Owen knows exactly what their protocol is and knows how he like, he can control it. And that's what Denzel is doing by trying to fight him is trying to, just like this is against what normally happens. And so he's like trying to get Clive Owen to make a mistake. And in actuality, Clive Owen does make sort of a mistake. Now they were ready for it, but if they weren't ready already, you know, he shoots this hostages and he knows shoots the hostage in quotation marks. And he knows that's going to bring them in. But it's like, if you weren't ready, that's really fucking stupid to do right then. I, I don't agree with you. I don't think it was a, I don't think it was a mistake that they had it covered. I think it was something that they always had planned to do. And like, like Denzel attacking him might've maybe bumped up a little bit, but it only was a, it it only set up to be a good reason to pull the killing the hostage now. Right. Cause they could always find something. They could be like, you know what? We actually don't like you putting the the bug in our pizza or something like that. They could always make up an excuse. It'd be like, this guy tried to run away. Boom. Or something like that, right? But Denzel gave them the perfect chance to do it. That's another thing. And th- there's so many little things in this movie that, that we could overlook. But the bug being planted into the message that was sent to the cops... And that's the other thing too, right? That that's how they always stayed one step ahead of the cops from then it's on. Funny, out. It's funny though, is um right at the end, uh Denzel finds the bug and he calls Darius Willem Defoe. He's like, Hey, they bugged us, they know you're coming in, you gotta stop. And and Willem Defoe's like, No, we're not stopping. And then you see Clive Owen and he goes, Oh shit. He's like, They're coming now, and then we like they quickly get ready or whatever, but it's like you were listening the whole time. Why is that an oh shit moment? You had to know they're about to come in. Because here's what I think. It was an oh shit because he he knew. Maybe, okay, maybe Clive Owen is as smart as everyone doesn't think he is, right? Maybe he knew that Denzel would find the bug and try to stop Defoe. And he was planning on Defoe stopping. What he wasn't planning on is Defoe not stopping. And that's where the oh shit came from. That's because he was Defoe and not DeFriend. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I do want to cover a, a few. <laughs> I want to cover a few things real quick. One is um, when they're talking to the the one big breasted uh, assailant. You know, the bad girl. <laughs> bad girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, they're like, "Well, you uh, 
you, there's only you and one other woman that fits the uh, description, you know, like uh, height, weight, chest size. And she's like, so I violated thirty section 34 double D. And they just like, look at her. Um, and then uh, there's the part where they go in and see the people that misbehave. And I brought this up earlier, but when he's like, yeah, some people misbehave. So they're in here. And when you go in there, the big breasted woman's there. The guy who's digging the tunnels there the dude who got hit in the face is like all of the bad guys are there with their masks off so that Denzel can see them. Could see them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, those are the three assailants besides Clive Owen, I think, or maybe the guy that got hit wasn't there. I don't, I don't know. I think he would have to be because, there. because couldn't. someone, no, 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 he couldn't be because someone shows up with a gun at the back of Denzel's And that's head. the guy that got hit. So yeah, I guess that guy wasn't there, but the other two were there. And so it's just like, they were establishing for sure, you know, even Denzel's like, oh, I saw those two tied up. So how am I going to say that they were, you know, you know, it's how am I going to prove to a, how are we going to prove to a jury? Um, it's like, it's like you can't. Um, no. And then the other thing is like, once again, I talked about how great the dialogue Clive Owen and Denzel's, but like Denzel's like, you know, what, what is your plan? And he's like, I'm going to walk out that door when I'm ready. Um, and then they talk about the ring and he's like, I'm too broke to get married and Clive Owen laughs. And I love that setup for him giving him the diamond later. Right. And also just like the rapport these two have, because one of the main things that like at, at the, when this movie ends, you're like, oh, he kind of now knows who that, that Clive Owen gave him the diamond. He doesn't really know who he is, but he sort of saw him and it's like. But he's not going to go after Clive Owen anymore. They have like this mutual respect for each other because he's like Clive Owen isn't the bad guy. Like right. he didn't hurt anybody. He beat the shit out of that bank manager, but that guy probably deserved it. You know what I mean? So it's like who was really hurt? He didn't kill anyone. He didn't steal anything, but from a Nazi. So <laughs> it, he's like it's almost like if he if you know if he could easily catch Clive Owen's character, he's like oh he might. But he knows he's gone. He's like, eh, he doesn't even care that he's gone. I love that, like, that smile he gives at the end after he finds the diamond. Like, I think it kind of says so much. I remember, like, I got a diamond. I remember what um, I thought he put in his pocket. And it wasn't one of, like, the diamonds. I thought, because they're talking about rings and engagement and stuff, I thought he put the Cartier diamond in his pocket. And then I thought the logistics of that is so like unreal. Like people could get away with a tiny little diamond uh, like that. Not not saying that that's that tiny, but you know what I mean? But like a whole fucking like um, uh, yellow diamond Cartier ring and give that to his his girlfriend and be like, yeah, I got this for you. And she's wearing that around. She's wearing around like a like a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar ring. Like, forget it. But yeah. so I was thinking, I was like, the logistics doesn't make sense. So what does he put in the pocket? And then it's just like, it's just one of the diamonds that was also in the box, you know? I love when he walks out and his partner, um, Edge of Four, is like, uh, so what, what's happening? He's like, I got him right where, he wants, where I want him. He's like, where's that? And he's like, behind me with my pants around my ankles, but it's a start. <laughs> and it, it is true, though. Like, that line's a joke, but it's also like, I've thrown him off now. You know, I put him in a position to do something bad. And right after this, he's like, he tells Willem Dafoe's character, he's like, yeah, this guy's, this guy's not a killer. Like, he's not going to, you know, he's not the type. I gave him every chance to kill me. And then immediately he shoots a hostage. Yeah. 
It's so great because he knows. He knows that's exactly the message that he just sent and that that that's what Denzel is relaying to like everyone else. So he's like, I got to do something drastic. Luckily, I have something drastic already planned. And then and then when all this goes down, he just sends all the hostages out the door. Um, ah, it's so great because the misdirect is he keeps telling everyone I'm going to walk out that door when I'm good and ready. And so your natural inclination, especially Denzel's, is to think he has to be among the, these people. Uh, Ian, absolutely. Um, the other thing, too, is so when I first saw this, I think this is one of the first Spike Lee movies I ever saw. And Spike Lee has this famous shot where he has people moving that I think the people are standing on a dolly with the camera and they kind of move as if they're not, their body isn't moving, but they're moving forward. And so right oh, after yeah. that, you have that Denzel shot of him going towards the bank where he's not moving, but his body is moving forward, like on this dolly. It's fucking awesome every time he does it. Um, And then he just like, Denzel is pissed and he's like, tell me what you really want. And he's like, you don't want a fucking plane. Don't bullshit a bullshitter. And just the line from Clive Owen of like, you're too damn smart to be a cop. Tell them to send someone who's not fucking insane. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So now we have like the, all the hostages are, are leaving and the, the raid is happening and they're checking, you know, everyone and no one is left in the building. But then also the weird stuff is that none of the money is taken. Nothing is moved. Nothing is, you know, everything is in the same place. And then that's when they find the, the blood bag of the fake hostage that was killed. Yeah, a couple of things I did want to bring up is one, all of the the cops going over the scenarios for storming the bank and them showing in their mind how it would work. I mm-hmm. thought it was a really cool touch. And that's like one of the last things that was added into the movie. Um, and then in the end, they decide to use the rubber bullets. Um, and then after this, uh, Edge of Four, his partner is like, dude, you're going to get, they're going to fucking stick this in our lap. And he's like, nope, I made a deal. I'm going to be first grade, you know, detective. Um, and he's, and he, uh, his partner says like, how could you cut a deal with those people? And he's like, everyone's getting theirs. I'm going to get mine. And it is like, even he's not impervious, right? He's this whole time like, oh, I don't, I didn't steal this money. I've done everything the right way. And then when it comes to it, I don't necessarily think this makes him a bad person. Right. But it does make him like a little more morally like ambiguous. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's just a, like a nice like touch to it. Um, and then we do get the, the cop who discovered the bank robbery in the beginning. He's talking about the first time he was shot and he's, you know, uses some racial slurs to discuss the kids. I like, he uses a racial slur for Mexicans and he's like, Hey, you know, stop with the color commentary. And then he's going to describe a black kid and clearly going to fucking say the N word to Denzel Washington before he stops himself. Um, he's like, yeah. And you know what? You're right. I'll watch what I'm saying. You never know who's listening. And like, you could say it's too cute or whatever, but I love that that's what tips him off. Like, fuck that. Like they've been <laughs> listening to me because he's known this whole time. Something is off. They're like, they know what we're doing. And it's like, that's why they know what we're doing. They're listening to me before I do it. They know how to react to it. Yeah. And also back to that cop when in the beginning, cause he's the cop that initially was made aware of the whole thing is that he was asked, is this the first time a gun was pulled on you? And then he's like, no, some like something like that happened to me um, back when I was, you know, beat cop or something. And um, in my head, 
Because, like I said, I haven't seen this movie in a long time. In my head, I was like, oh, I want to know that story. And then we actually know that story. We get to we get to hear that story later. So I was, like, really appreciative of that. I, I also like the touch of all the hostages come out. They're clearly hostages. There's way too many of them. And, like, it takes forever for Willem Dafoe to get them to stop shooting people. He's like, ceasefire. <laughs> Fuck, quit shooting everybody. Like, imagine if they had used real bullets. Oh my god! How could you even? I don't know. So they're all out. They all get away, and then and then the the ending, right? But here's what I want to talk about: is we understand as the audience now that they built like a fake wall into the storage uh, closet to give Clive Owen like a basically a four by four living space for, I think it's a week. Right. And, um, they had to rebuild that wall perfectly to trick people long enough for him to escape. Um, my question is, is that what are the odds of Denzel showing up the day that Clive Owen decides to leave? Because he could have left a day before, a day later, and never run into this problem. I understand how time works a lot, so thanks for okay. explaining it I'm further. Making, making sure you do. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's a cute, it's like a too cute movie thing, but it's like, it doesn't matter, right? It's just a thing to add to like, oh, he sticks the diamond in his pocket, but it doesn't matter. It's not, it's like one of those things, it's like a plot detail, like, oh, that's too convenient. But it's like, it's after the end of the movie where everything's already over. Like, so, you know, who cares? It's just like a plot contrivance. Um, also, how, it's not that smart for like everyone who was suspicious of oh. being in the crime to be in the same car right outside the bank a week later. Like, that's kind of dumb. Yeah, but they also are just like they think they're in the clear and like everyone has given up on this except for Denzel Washington. Right. And like we keep knowing that he goes to his captain. And he's like he goes through the whole spiel. No one can point to any bad guy. Every person we think could be a suspect has three or four people to clear him. And his captain's like, just fucking bury it. And he's like, what? And he's like dude, no one cares about this. So why would I care about this? He's like, just well, especially two things, right? One, no money was taken. Right. And then mm-hmm. the thing, and then Denzel is the only one who knows about this, but the, anything that was taken was taken from a Nazi. So it's like, why well, wouldn't the, you bury it? Well, at that point, they don't know that. Right. So right after that, he is looking through and sees there's a safety deposit box missing from like the register. So he goes to, so that's why he goes back. That's why he goes back. Yeah, yeah. So he goes, and this is when he, uh, Madeline tells him, you know, you were told to bury this. You've already made first grade. Um, or, she, or it happens like somewhere around this time. He's like, he plays the recording for her. Uh, and then he's, her, her line of like, you know, he's like, you know, tell me what, what did your client do? And he's like, or case do. And he's like, you know, the saying blood, if there's blood on the streets by property, he took it uh, like a little too literal. <laughs> um. So, yeah, so now we get, you know, their jobs off the diamond, they get away, they have blackmail on this dude forever now. Um, And then Denzel goes back to his girlfriend and pulls out the diamond. We see his girlfriend a total of three times in this movie. And every time she is wearing less clothes and she's always in the bed, which makes me think is that's what she just does all day. She doesn't have a proper job. She just... She just is there to look sexy for Denzel Washington when he comes home. She's a cop. 
but we don't see that dude. We she is only on the bed in lingerie, like every time we see her. I'm pretty sure it's established she's a cop. She might even be in a cop uniform at some point in this movie. Sexy cop lingerie on the bed. So there are a couple of things you skipped over. Um, the Madeline visiting Arthur Chase at the end. Um, I think this I is know, when I... she looks her best in this movie. Okay. And uh, she's telling him like, oh, you know, this gang leader seems to have a very low opinion of you. Um, and this is when he does the thing about like, basically selling out his friends for fuck because the Nazis paid too well. And I he's love getting her. a He's getting like a shave in the back of a bar. I don't understand that. It's like a, it's like a club. Like it's a club for rich people that we're not oh, like a gentleman's to. club. Yeah. I didn't see any strippers. Um, not that type of gentleman's club. Like, like a, like a proper gentleman's club. You know, never mind. Forget it. But clearly what I said was tongue in cheek. Um, I like her line of, I would love to tell you you're a monster, but I'm helping Bin Laden get a co-op. You know, we talked about that earlier in his laugh. And then, um, you know, and this is when we get Clive Owen repeats his speech as we see the, the, the cell where he's at. And this is kind of the big reveal. Um, and I don't, once again, I don't remember if I had figured it out at this point. I will say the room they chose is perfect, right? Because how many times are people going to go into the fucking paper room? You know what I mean? Like, it's not very often. And they're certainly not going to recognize that it's like four, three or two or three feet shorter than it was. You know what I mean? Have um, you ever have you ever walked into a room and you've like walked into this room like a hundred times and you just feel like something is off? But like the last thing you would suspect is like a secret Clive Owen hiding there. Well, they did point out he probably fucking stinks. Like, I hope they at least, like, gave him some deodorant to to keep down there. Um, and also, like, what, years from now, they'll probably, like, some at some point, they'll probably find that space. Like, someone will put something on the shelf and push a little too hard back, and it'll, like, break. And they're like, what the fuck? He didn't fix the wall when he, like, left it. He just left it open like that. I mean, we didn't see. I assume he fixed the wall. But oh. he probably he probably doesn't care. I will say so he walks out of the room, he kind of walks out and he's like looking around because him walking out of that room is like the only suspicious thing. But no one sees him do it. He walks up, he goes up the stairs, and this woman walks by him and then just fucking turns around and stares at him the whole time. Like very like, what the fuck is this guy? Who is this? And I'm like, did he smell bad? Or like, why are you staring at this guy? Cause other people could be down there. Like I saw, like there looked like there were bankers that were kind of meeting with people. I was like, why are you like, I fucking him like that. He shouldn't be here. Um, I, I took it because he stunk. Probably. Um, and then he gets outside and of course he is, uh, he is hooked up with, uh, big tits McGee, that robber. And the, the Jewish guy's like, why'd you leave the ring? And he's like, you know, he, he's like, it, trust me, it's in good hands. And, and we've kind of figured out that uh, Denzel is going to, you know, we know that he, uh, he, after this, he takes it to the mayor and basically like, you know, he kind of figures it all out. Um, but the, the, uh, the voiceover from Clive Owen is like, respect is the ultimate currency. And I stole from a man who traded his away for a few dollars. It's just like so cold. And you know that like, the movie doesn't spell this out for you, but you know, like, everything's going to kind of come out in the open and Arthur Chase is going to be ruined. And like these guys are going to be living on an Island somewhere. This definitely been sucking on pina coladas. I definitely think this makes a good, like a good prequel 
like a good streaming prequel series would be like perfect for for inside man what they could do to expand on it is just like every season or something like have a different either a different nazi that they go after or like different like war crimes they can go after you know what i mean I mean, I'm gonna, I already told you what I want, but yeah, I mean, that would work too. And like I said, I love the end of it too. When he finds the diamond, he kind of smiles and this, this laughing, knowing smile, I think is really like, I think it says a lot. Um, and that's the movie. I did see a couple kind of interesting things. Uh, I already told you about the dog day afternoon connection, but originally this was going to be directed by Ron Howard, but okay. Russell, <laughs> Could you imagine? I think the the racial politics might have been displayed a little differently if Ron Howard had this. Um, but Russell yeah. Crowe uh, talked him into doing Cinderella Man instead. Um, and then, th- like, I found this really weird. But this role of Madeline was offered to Kate Hudson, Rachel Lee Cook, Jennifer Jason Lee. Um, Marsha Cross, but she was too busy doing Desperate Housewives. Jennifer Love Hewitt, which is mm. the weirdest one to me. Yeah. Um, and then Jennifer Connolly passed on it. I think she could have done it, although like I haven't seen any every Jennifer Connolly movie. And I guess this was kind of a different role for Jodie Foster too. But that would definitely be something different that I saw Jennifer Connolly in. But all the other ones are fucking crazy to me. They're weird. I couldn't imagine Ghost Whisperer being this menacing, you know? That was actually what she was her she was committed to Ghost Whisperer at the time, so she couldn't do <laughs> this movie. Um the the thing is though, and this is the only negative thing I'll say about this movie, and I kinda want your opinion on this, is that I feel like this is a great movie. This is a great movie. Uh I really enjoyed it. The thing that I think that kind of diminishes it, and I think that diminishes a lot of early 2000 movies, is like, it feels very early 2000. And and primarily in the beginning with like the title cards and the music and the kind of flashiness of like what early 2000 movies bring. Um, I feel like a lot of those movies, plot wise and acting wise, still good, still hold up today. But if they were just toned down a little bit in like their their early 2000s flashiness, it would elevate the more like, I don't know, seriousness of the movie. What do you think about that? Uh, I disagree on this one. Uh, I think this one's kind of, to me, timeless. Like I put it on today and I'm like, why do they not make movies as good as this, right? Because this is not a high budget movie right this is like a pretty standard movie that has denzel washington i guess it had clive owen at a time no no, no. like owen the whole was... you misunderstand me the whole movie is great from start to finish but like the title cards and like so, the okay it sounded like you were making a bigger point but now you're just basically saying you didn't like the title cards because <laughs> that was it just like... it felt it felt very like it felt very like gone in 60 seconds for a movie that was not gone in 60 seconds that was just a standard thing where they had like the title cards. It was probably like a contractual thing, right? Where the like people wanted their, you know, bigger stars wanted their names up front. And it's just like that. Yeah. That was a sign of the times, whatever. I, but once again, 
when you have a song that's as banging as Chaya Chaya going on the entire time, you got me. I don't care. And you're driving around New York City. All right. Well, I um, I fucking love this movie. I um, I don't have anything else to say about it. I need to watch more Spike Lee movies. I watched 25th Hour kind of when I was probably a little too young to appreciate it. So that's one I really need to redo. And at some point, um, you know, we can do Malcolm X. I don't know if we're, you and I are capable of handling that. Maybe that'll just be one we watch. We don't do, but um, I watched, I watched do the right thing when I was younger, but I, I did not appreciate it as much as I probably would now. If I watched it now, I watched, she's got to have it like a year ago. And I was like, this seems pretty experimental. I don't know how this works for me. Um, Maybe I'm not the target for that one, but I think I would like to do the right thing. And I need to rewatch 25th Hour. Overall, that's what I'm saying. You know, Spike Lee, great director. I'd say that just based off of this, and um, you know, an old boy, yeah, a swing and a miss on old boy, you know. But uh, he took a swing for sure. So, thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David, and this is Alon, and we finally rewatched again Inside, Inside Man. Man.